Coming up today, a bit of a garden tour from Pastor Ray Bentley. Between the garden in the beginning on the top of the mountain called Eden and the new beautiful garden city called Jerusalem in the book of Revelation chapters 21 and 22, in between those two gardens is another garden. And that garden is the one that ties these two together. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. The whole story of paradise restored begins and ends in a garden. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. We can only imagine the beauty of the Garden of Eden, creation just as God intended, unspoiled, serene, and perfect. Well, when sin entered the garden, man had to leave the garden. And today, Pastor Ray shows us how Jesus paid the price so we could one day enter the eternal Garden City. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 39. We'll pick up where we left off the last time. This is the prayer in the garden. And we read in verse 39, it says, Coming out, he, Jesus, went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. Now, when Jesus comes to the Mount of Olives, he is entering into a garden. And so Jesus would have ridden from the top of the Mount of Olives down to the base of the Mount of Olives to the Kidron Valley and up through the Eastern Gate and into behind me would be the temple where the dove is, let's say. Well, toward the base of the Mount of Olives, uh, there are olive trees. And obviously that's why it's called the Mount of Olives. And, uh, but this, there's also a, a garden there called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means the olive press. So wherever you would have uh, olive trees, uh, then you would have an olive press, which is this large stone platform around which another huge stone rolls around, crushing the olive, the outward flesh, if you will, of the olive, and to get the precious oil, the olive oil, that then goes down into a little chute and then they are able to take that and, and use it for all kinds of things. It was a, a great commodity uh, 2,000 years ago. So a Gethsemane is an olive press that uses tremendous pressure. Jesus is now entering into Gethsemane. And through the cross, his body, the flesh of his body, will be crushed and broken by the weight of the sins of you and I and of the entire world. And out from his crushed outward body will flow the oil of the Holy Spirit, Christ's blood being shed for you and I. So there was, Jesus had spent many, many nights on the Mount of Olives and there was a, a garden in the midst of the olive trees that he went to probably for a number of years. He had a favorite spot where he liked to pray and talk to his father. This is where he had been coming for years in a pattern. And he now enters into this garden again. 
This is a very special time. Obviously, it's after the, uh, we've discussed the Last Supper, the Passover meal with the disciples. It's now nighttime. They would have left the upper room of Jerusalem, somewhere in the area of Jerusalem, uh, singing a hymn outside, cold, crisp air underneath uh, the stars, singing. Can you imagine walking now with the disciples into the night air? worshiping and singing this hymn as they would have made their way from upper Jerusalem behind me down the Kidron Valley to the base of the Mount of Olives and to the place that all the disciples were very familiar. This is where our Lord loves to pray and talk to his father. The significance is that that night, and of course, as we'll see here tonight, Jesus will already begin to feel the weight and the pressure of bearing the sins of the world, being the Passover lamb, and he will be sweating uh, this night uh, in, in great drops, as it were, of blood. But why a garden? Because this is the night before the morning, he'll be betrayed and then beaten and then the next day crucified. Why a garden? And if you're taking notes, I want you to note several things. First of all, why did Jesus enter a garden on this night? Because a garden is where human history began. Adam and Eve began on the top of a mountain. We believe, by the way, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, that uh, the Garden of Eden was actually a garden uh, on the top of a mountain. And it was a garden in the sense that it was especially planned and prepared by God. Now, I think that before sin entered into the uh, scene, the whole earth probably in a wild, natural beautiful way looked like, uh, to me, uh, the Hawaiian Islands. It was just beautiful, but wild. But on the top of a very special mountain, there was a garden, meaning it was planned. You know, how many of you have seen an English garden or pictures of an English garden where you've got hedges and rows and flowers and paths and places to sit and so imagine God had put, in the midst of already its beautiful in paradise and raw natural beauty, now a garden made by God, Adam and Eve put into the midst of it. And so it's interesting that in the book of Genesis, humanity began in a garden. Now go from Genesis all the way through all the years and centuries to the book, the last book of the New Testament called the book of Revelation. And what do we see in the book of Revelation? We see that there is this city that is so gloriously and so beautifully adorned that if you can imagine this, it is a city that is described as beautiful as a woman on the day of her wedding. A city that is so beautiful, it's like a bride. Ah, but... Why is this city so beautiful that it can only be described as a bride city, the new Jerusalem? Because the new Jerusalem is a garden city from heaven that now begins to make its way back to the earth. So you could say that the story of Genesis where you know, humankind began on the top of a mountain in a garden, then sin entered, and what happened to Adam and Eve? They were kicked out of the garden. Now, if the, think of this uh, just logically. If the garden is at the top of a mountain, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden. Where do they go? Down the mountain. To what the Bible describes as the howling wilderness below. The story of redemption 
is, is really a picture. God gives this beautiful picture from Genesis uh, to Revelation of paradise restored. So it's the story of how the Lord himself had to now leave, as it were, the garden on the top of the mountain and come down into this dark, sinful world, save us, redeem us, and then lead us back, as it were, up the mountain and then re-enter paradise. You remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out to the entrance of the garden, there were, two, there were angels standing there with swords flaming to keep Adam and Eve from ever re-entering the garden at that time because of sin. Christ then born into human flesh and blood and bone and God who became a man, the great mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, lived a perfect life. So in a sense, what Jesus must now do is undo everything Adam did in the garden. In essence, Jesus now as the representative of humanity re-enters the garden. As he re-enters the garden, the swords of judgment fall upon him, his body is broken, his blood is shed. The angels then, having justice served, sheathe their glistening swords. And now there is a doorway back into paradise covered at its entrance with blood that now we can enter back into paradise. Now, so that's the big picture. But may I suggest to you this. Between the garden in the beginning on the top of the mountain called Eden and the new beautiful garden city called Jerusalem in the book of Revelation chapters 21 and 22, in between those two gardens is another garden. And that garden is the one that ties these two together. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. It is the garden where Jesus will now go and pay the price. So this is why for believers, the whole story of paradise restored uh, really is a, it begins and ends in a garden. And, and I put in this scripture there, Revelation. In fact, let's just turn there real quick. Go to Revelation, hold your finger in Luke. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Because this is what is coming. By the way, how many of you think it's really cool that, that this divine, heavenly, uh, new city of Jerusalem is not made of asphalt, concrete, but it's made out of trees and, and you know, the things of nature. How beautiful. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits. You remember Adam and Eve, they had the tree of life and they had that other tree. What was the other tree called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many would agree? And we picked that tree. We didn't eat the tree of life. How many agree we made a huge mistake when, when Adam and Eve did that? But we have done the same thing ourselves. So now we get back into paradise and guess what's there? The tree of life. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more, and basically everything after this means no more sin. There's no more curse. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen on that? No more curse. But the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. We're gonna see the face of God and his name shall be on their foreheads. You know who, who had their, the name of the Lord written on their forehead in the Old Testament? Well, only one guy, the high priest, who had a golden plate on his forehead with the name of the Lord on it. We're all now priests of the Lord and we have his name in our minds. The name of the Lord upon our minds. There shall be no night there. 
They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. In other words, what lights up the heavenly Jerusalem is the Shekinah glory of God. And they shall reign for a long time. Is that what it says? How long do we reign? Forever and ever. How long is forever and ever? In the original Greek, how long is forever? It means forever. What about the original Hebrew? It means forever. And then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Doesn't mean that's gonna happen, you know, uh, immediately. What shortly means is when it begins to happen, it happens very, very rapidly in the end. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. We've received so many comments from listeners on what Pastor Ray's teaching and the ministry of Maranatha Radio has meant to them. Thank you, Pastor Ray, for your wonderful teaching. I still listen to you and appreciate the fact that your messages are still available. I'll pray for your family, especially your son, Pastor Daniel, for wisdom as he continues in ministry. It's so encouraging to hear how Pastor Ray's teachings and now that of Pastor Daniel are continuing to touch lives. If you have a message to share, you can email us, ray at raybentley.com or post a comment on our homepage at www.raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. So go back with me now to Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus now enters a garden and we read beginning in verse 40. Let's read verses 40 through 46. He says, when he came to the place, he said to the disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, why would Jesus say, as soon as he enters the garden, the first thing he says, pray that you don't enter into temptation. You think maybe he's reminded of what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? that if they had been watching and waiting and praying and trusting in a relationship, they would have been prepared for temptation. Think of this, sin happened in the Garden of Eden when there was no sin, there was no curse, God was ruling and reigning sovereignly in the universe, everything was perfect, there was no curse, there was no death, there was no police, no army, no hospitals, no medication, none of it even necessary. And yet we had sinned. So now Jesus, this is actually a a great prayer, especially since this is where Adam failed in the garden. So note that everything that Adam failed and forfeited in the garden, Jesus will now succeed. He is the last Adam. And here's the really exciting thing. You and I, before, even when we were born, the Bible says we were born sinners. You didn't even, I mean, we all chose sin on our own along the way, but you were born little sinners. I know babies are cute, they're so snuggly, and they're probably the closest, uh, you know, to innocence in heaven as we get. But as those cute little babies grow up, they, you don't have to teach them to be sinners, do you? You have to teach them to tell the truth. You have to teach them to do right things. So that, that sin nature is unfortunately still there. So Jesus, he, he undoes what Adam did. He is obedient. He, he is in prayer with the Father in relationship in the garden. Verse 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down 
and prayed. I want you to notice that, that Jesus knelt down. God seeks true worshipers. He, he revealed to the woman at the well that he seeks true worshipers. The Father seeks such who are true worshipers to worship him. That God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We mentioned also, if you weren't here, the very first time the word worship is used in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham said, as God asked him to sacrifice his son, that I will go with Isaac yonder to the mountain the Lord has shown me, and there we will worship, and then we will return to you. The lad and I will return. So it shows that he believed in that he would return and that God would resurrect Isaac, uh, and that's the faith now of, of the, everybody, uh, of, of the entire church, both Gentile and Jew. But the word worship means, I'm gonna give it to you as simply as I can, the word worship means to bend the knee. In other words, it is like this. This is worship. Worship is to bend the knee, meaning I am not in charge, I am not the center of the universe, I am not the boss of the applesauce, I am not God, He is. You bend the knee to acknowledge and humble yourself that you are surrendered to the one who made you and the one who created you. Notice in that Adam and Eve did not bend the knee, they did not worship the Lord, but they stood there taking the fruit that was forbidden into their own hands. And how many would agree we've had a belly full of that fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil? We've had enough of it, yeah? So the way back to salvation, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, not me, not you, not us, amen? So notice here in the garden that Jesus, undoing what Adam did, gets on his knees. A stone's throw away and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, there's a relationship, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Here we find that Jesus is now praying three times. Jesus prayed about the cup. Father, and what was the cup? The cup is the crucifixion and the cross. Three times Jesus prayed. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. And three times more he prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And then he would return to the disciples whom he wanted to be praying with him. If ever there was a night that Jesus on the humanity side of him wanted and needed fellowship, encouragement, disciples to be up praying for him, it was that night. And they all had fallen asleep. They all failed, as it were, on the job that night. I'm sure they felt that for the rest of their lives. It seems that we uh, who even love and follow and believe in Jesus are constantly tempted to be asleep at the very hour we most need to be awake. 
We need to be, and this is an hour that the believers who are the bride of Jesus Christ need to be awake because of what we see happening in the world. We need to be wide awake and, and very alert. How many would agree the world's in big trouble right now? Don't you think this would be a great time for about seven billion people to get down on their knees and say, oh God, we do not know how to correct the mess that we have put ourselves in. Help, save us. Bend the knee and confess Jesus is Lord. Have mercy, pour out your spirit upon us. How many would agree with that? Well, okay, so not everybody's doing it, but some who are paying attention. Most of the world right now, I think is unfortunately kind of asleep. But those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, knowing that the signs are there, that the coming of the Lord is near, Jesus said over and over and over again in parable and teaching, he said, watch and pray. That means be awake, be alert, see the signs, be prepared. For the Son of Man comes like a thief in the night at an hour you do not expect. So be watching, be waiting, be alert, be in prayer, Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. Jesus was awake and he was alert in that very moment. The disciples were sleeping. And by Jesus saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It was, if I could put it into other words, which I've put into your notes. It was Jesus saying, if salvation for mankind is possible any other way than the cross, let this cup pass. Father, pass from me. Why? Because when Jesus bore our sins and the sins of the world were laid upon him, for it is written in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus is the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. He is known as the Ancient of Days. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And now the sins of all humanity will be laid upon him. And what is the punishment for sin? Death. And what is death? Separation from God. This is a great mystery. This is why Jesus crying out as the sins of the world were upon him, Father, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, you know, this is a great mystery uh, that, that Jesus, he who knew no sin, the Bible says, was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have no idea what that, what that moment was. There was somehow for a, a brief moment, a, a breach, a separation as Christ became sin for you and for me. No wonder Jesus prayed with, with such uh, emotion and anxiety that he's on his knees sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Father, if it's possible, believe me, Jesus was, here's what he was saying in that prayer. If there is any other possible way for man to be saved other than the cross, let it come. But when he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, if that is the only way, Father, for mankind to be saved, so be it. I present my body to you, a sacrifice, a lamb, a Passover. I will take their punishment, that you might have mercy upon them and forgive them. If they will repent and believe and trust in me, then we can be reconciled. Pastor Ray Bentley, with a glimpse of the Lord's sacrifice from his perspective. And Pastor Ray will have more from this message here on Maranatha Radio. Today's study is titled, The Night Jesus Restored Paradise. If you missed any part of the presentation, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today 
When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click about and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email, free of charge. And then after 30 years on the radio and the passing of Pastor Ray Bentley in early 2022, we are approaching the end of the Maranatha radio program. We'd like to thank you, our dedicated listeners, who've joined us through the years as we've journeyed with Pastor Ray through the Bible. We'll be continuing the broadcast through the remainder of 2023, but we're excited to share that we'll have a dedicated online location to access all of Pastor Ray's content, including video, audio sermons, books, and more. Please visit raybentley.com to follow along with us but we hope you'll stay with us here on the radio through the end of the year. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.